I guess it's imposter syndrome or whatever that you just don't feel like you're smart enough to do this job. I feel that way all the time. I was on Twitter the other day. I was reading a tweet from somebody that said, even she'd been practicing, I don't know how many more than I have, but she said, I still go to court and I'm still nervous every single time because you never know what's going to happen. She goes, that's how you should feel. She goes, anything could happen when you're over there. Welcome to The Defense Never Rests with Morgan and Akins, your monthly dose of uncommon sense about all things legal and some that are not. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this episode of The Defense Never Rests. I am your host, Megan Henry, and today I'm joined by my new colleague, Laura. Uh, she just came over to Morgan and Akins about a few weeks ago, and I thought I'd bring her on because honestly, I haven't even met her yet because everyone's still remote and I haven't been in the office. Um, so I thought it'd be great to have her come on, ask her a bunch of questions about her background and you know how she got, became a lawyer and her practice areas, So and just get to know her a little bit. So with that, let me bring her in. Good morning, Laura. Thanks for joining me this morning on The Defense Never Rest. How are you? Good. How are you? Good morning, Megan. I am so glad you came on and you um, didn't push back too much when I asked for you to come on. I know you were a little apprehensive about sitting down on a, on a podcast, on video nonetheless, but I'm glad you, you pushed through your fear and you're here. <laughs> I listen to a lot of podcasts. I don't know that I'm really the best person to be on one, but I will well, do my best. I listen to a lot of podcasts and I don't know if I'm the best person to host one, but I'm doing it anyway. So here I am. <laughs> so for our, our listeners who don't know you, you are a new addition to Morgan Akins. I think you've been with the firm just a few weeks, right? Yeah, I think, I think just a little less than a month at this point. Okay. So you're still getting your feet wet, getting used to us. And bare, I mean, this is probably the first time I've talked to you face to face because no one's ever in the office anymore. Right. So. So it's nice a, to meet you. It's a really unusual, um, really unusual environment to come in, especially coming out of COVID. And I was telling somebody and they asked me, they're like, why don't you know that? I was like, because it's COVID and people are in and out of the office. So it takes a while to sort of get your feet underneath you and um, yeah. sort of get it together. Yeah. How has been like the, the experience coming onto a firm that you literally know nobody during this time that like you know, you might go to the office, there might be two people there. Like what, what's that experience like? I, it's, it's a little, it's a little different, but you know, I think the thing you always have to do is you have to ask, I learned in the past couple weeks, you have to ask a lot of questions because people assume that, you know, things that you just don't know. <laughs> and, you know, like, I don't know how to use a copier. It took that, took me, you know, like all those little things that you just take for granted. Um, so you have to ask a lot of questions. So it's uh, so far so good. Everybody's been really nice and kind. So I mean, I'm going to be honest, I haven't been in that. I've been in our office once in the last two years and I, I don't know how to use that copier anymore either. So, <laughs> And if you ask me to like patch in a phone call, forget about it. I would never be, I don't even know how to check my voicemail on my actual phone in the office. Oh, that, that took us about a week to figure out just because uh, we had the wrong passcode. It took a while. <laughs> yeah. Um, so let's get a little bit into like your, your background. Cause I think sure. everyone's path to, to become a lawyer is so different and interesting. So, you know, how was it that you decided to go to law school go to, and to be a lawyer? Like what were your parents lawyers or was that something you always want to do? Or is it just like, I had nothing else to do? <laughs> no. So my, uh, my mom was an OR nurse. She's now in a, she's transitioned to a different position. My dad what did construction. Uh, very few people in my family went to college. My brother is a teacher and now he's a middle school principal. And we did mock trial in high school and I loved it. And I've always sort of loved true crime and crime shows and any sort of trial shows when I was a kid. And so I took a year off between college and law school 
and I worked in Baltimore at the Hartford Staff Legal Office as the world's worst receptionist. I was terrible. <laughs> I could not remember. It was awful. Gotta love them that they were so kind to me. Um, so, but in the process, I ended up applying to law school and I ended up going to law school in New Orleans, which was, you know, good and bad. Um, but I just, I really, you know, really came to love the law and um, I had so much fun working. I was like 21 working at a staff legal office. It was fun. You know, we did yeah. workers comp and got really good experience, really good exposure to the law. Um, two things about that. One, um, that I did a similar thing as I, I worked in between college uh, and law school. And that first job that you have when you're that age, I think is the best because it's like your first taste of having some money right. <laughs> and you think you have so much because you have any coming in right. and, and, and you're like, kind of, you it's different from college because you don't have class. So you feel really free and you make so many good, at least I did. I made so many awesome friends at that first job that I'm still friends with them to this day. Did you have like a similar experience? It was so funny because I came from I grew up in Allentown and then I went to school in York. So I lived in these and they're not, I realize Pennsylvania, they're considered to be, you know, big cities, but to, you know, you feel like they're very small. And so I worked in downtown Baltimore. I worked right by the Harbor. It was the most exciting thing to be 21. And I was living with a friend from college and I took the train in every day. I just felt like this big grown up, um, you know, like adult with my first real job. And I worked with some really fun assistants and paralegals and attorneys and the stories it's funny I still have they gave me a dictionary a legal dictionary when I was leaving and they they signed all I wrote notes and they are still they mean so much to me because it's yeah. such like a snapshot of your life at that point when you're 21 and just the world seems endless yeah I, like it's at that time it has such like a sweet spot in, in my heart and also it was very much of a you know, work hard, play hard type thing. Like, cause I could live off of, you know, four hours of sleep so I could go to work and, <laughs> and hang out with my friends and stay up late and then just wake up and do it all over again. Like yeah. it just, it was, you're like an energizer buddy. I could never do that now. <laughs> oh, no, I would, yeah. So many of our friends from, co- from college moved to Maryland. So there were so many of us. So it was fun. It was like this weird extension where we all had real jobs, but we all had to get up in the morning to go to them but we were still having like the same amount of fun we had in college. It was great. Such a great fun time. I know. I'm very nostalgic about it. (laughs) (laughs) So, so then you said you went to school, you went to law school in New Orleans. Did you go to, where did you go? I went to Loyola. Okay. And you said that was good and bad. Were you there during Katrina? Was that like, I was there. Oh gosh, it's going to date me. I was there before Katrina. Um, The reason I say it was good and bad. I loved it. The moment I went to go visit it, I knew I was going to go to school there. I've lived there a long, I lived there a long time. Um, as a lawyer, I probably should have been a little bit more, should have probably thought through the decision a little bit more. If I was going to end up on the East coast, I probably should have came to school up here on the East coast, but for three years and then the rest of the time I practiced there, it was, it was just so much fun. We had such a great time. I met great, I met lifelong friends, um, who I'm still in contact with today. Yeah. I mean, I guess that is, a, it's a really good point. And I experienced something similar. Like when you go to that smaller, I guess they call them regional schools, they really are, unless you're at the very top of your class, you're really focused on local firms or local jobs. And, you know, I'm sure Loyola was probably similar. Like you're probably your job focus was Southern, probably mostly Louisiana based firms, unless you're at the very top of your class, then you might be on the radar of some national firms, but it's very localized. And I know going, I went to Villanova and going in, like no one told me that, like no one explained that to me. And who would, I, I 
I applied to law school after college. So it wasn't like I was going to any sort of guidance person. So I was just doing it on my own, but it was definitely something I was not aware about until like I was graduating. I was like, oh, like no one knows what Villanova is. I mean, people do, I think more so now because of the basketball program, but right. really like nationwide, not everyone knows it. You know? Right. Yeah, it's the same thing. Like if I was, you know, if I was to go back and do it again, the smarter thing would have been to move back up to Allentown, go to school in Philly, commit yeah. to, you know, I'm, okay, this is where I'm going to be. And I think, I think when you're 20, you know, what, like 21 to 25, that's such a hard decision to say to somebody, you know, are you really willing to commit to this is where you're going to be for the rest of your career? And, but it's something I wish I had thought through at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But then at the same time, now looking back, you're like, what? I had this great pocket of time that I got to live and enjoy this other, get to know this other city that you would probably wouldn't be able to do now. Like, unless yeah. you're just like, I'm just going to uproot my whole life and move. <laughs> the it was, it was fun going back as, um, you know, I had practiced a little bit in Maryland. I went before I moved back to New Orleans to go, I took, retook the bar, well, I took the bar and worked and I would run into people that I knew from law school I was like, I never thought I would see you again. Like, cause you know, I had like, I took, you know, I was there and then I had moved. So it was fun to get to know people again on a different level, on a really professional level. Yeah. So, yeah. So take me through that. So you graduated and then you, you were then worked up in Maryland. I did. So okay. I, so those same friends that I talked about before, they all stayed in Maryland and I came home for a wedding and it, you know, I've been living in New Orleans for a while and I came home one of those perfect October weekends in, in the fall up here on the East coast where it's everything is lovely and you see the fall, you know, the changing leaves and everything. And so they, they said to me, they're like, you should think about coming back. And so I did, and I was back for about four years and then I was getting ready to leave a job. I was it sort of was not the best situation. And if my friend, one of my very good friends from law school called me and said, why don't you think about coming back to New Orleans? It was it was far enough after Katrina where the litigation was really starting to ramp up and there was lots of opportunities for attorneys. So I ended up moving back and taking the bar. And then I worked in New Orleans for a number of years. Oh, good. So you then need to take a bar like when you're actually practicing. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was difficult. And, um, you know, they've made some changes to Louisiana bar since I took it. But at that time, it was difficult at that time. But there was a lot of resources available. They had they recycled questions in some format. So you sort of knew what you were getting into, but it's three days, all essays. It was oh, a really? very long, exhausting week. Oh, I don't even know if I can handle that. Thing. <laughs> was, uh, I think the last subject is federal civil procedure. And thankfully that was the one I knew the best from having practiced in Maryland. Otherwise, I don't know that I would have made it. It's a, it was a really long week. Yeah. I remember a few years ago, we were talking about because we get, we get some Maryland work now. It's great. Yeah. You're here. But, uh, I had said to one of, uh, one of our colleagues, maybe I'll just take the Maryland bar. And he was like, are you crazy? I was like, well, I mean, how hard can it be? Like we've, we've already like been practicing. He's like civil procedure. He's like, well, what do you know about, about family law? I was like, I guess not much. It was the Maryland bar was hard because one of the topics was, it was funny. One of the topics was um, secure transactions. And that was, I think we had the year they tested it. I never understood in law school. I learned it in bar review and it was on the exam. And I was, I just remember writing the essay going, I'm going to ace this exam because I actually studied this. I know this. I could not tell you anything about it right now. It's, I think it's very hard to go back and take the bar after you've been practicing because you feel like you should know it and you really don't because 
because of what they test is very specific. Yeah. Oh yeah. You have to know, like you have to know, like you have to know the keywords that are supposed to cue you to write about a specific analysis that is very, like it's in that Barbary book or whatever other model, like they're testing one specific thing. You have to have like three sentences that attack this one subject and then you move on to the next one, which in a way, like, sure, we do that to, in some respect in practice. Like, you you spot the issues and you identify I, what what could be, but it's it's different. <laughs> it's well, I told, I, yeah, I've tried to explain to somebody. I said it's you sat down with six books in front of you and you wrote cover to cover until you hit the last page, and then you stopped, and then you went to the next one, and you hoped that you had covered enough in the in the booklet that they would they would pass you. It's really, it's such a stressful experience, you know, but it's, it's so much, it, you have I have warm and fuzzy memories about it now. I just remember how awful it was at the time. But then I also wonder about the people who have to read all these things. Like <laughs> that is, maybe that's the best job in the world. I don't know. But to me, it does not seem that way. <laughs> I, I imagine it's just stream of consciousness of, you know, terrified law students just praying that they pass the bar. I yeah. can't even imagine what I... I would never want to read what I wrote again. Only imagine what's in there. No, I, I recall taking, when I was taking the New Jersey bar and I had to, I think I was handwriting it. And I think it got to the point at the end that if I didn't finish, then I had to wait until everybody like finished up and gave in all their exams and closed up their laptops. And it was going to be like another like 25 minutes. And I remember being like, okay, I think I wrote enough to pass. I just want to get out of here. So I don't have to wait another oh, 30 yeah, minutes yeah. to leave. <laughs> so I was like, I think I did enough. Close my book, hand it in. I, I just need to be done with these tests. <laughs> when I took Louisiana at that time, you could intentionally fail two subjects and still pass the exam. So you're, it's this very mental game you have to play with yourself yeah. where there are some people who just don't study for code three, which is contracts. And so you'll be sitting there diligently trying to write an answer and you'll see just person after person after person leaving and it's this very mental game in your head where you're like I I need to stay and finish this but I really want to join them and just walk out um it was it's it's a very it was a really difficult exam just mentally and just um you know having trying to finish the whole entire week because you just want to give up at some point oh I know so if there's any like law students listening, sorry, <laughs> as to what's coming, it sucks. It's, it's, it gets better. You just have to survive that experience. <laughs> and it's, it's funny. I'm part of these um, Facebook groups for women attorneys. And every once in a while, a law student will pop on and they'll say, I'm taking the bar exam. And you just feel for them because you know what's coming their way. Yeah. Or people who are retaking bar exams because they've moved and um, Godspeed, it's not that easy so yeah I think Scott in our office took the Delaware bar this, oh, this really? summer and I'm like oh I mean it makes sense from a like a, ge- ge- a geographic right. standpoint but I was like oh it's like the hardest one <laughs> um so anyway so you work up in Baltimore at, at your first job but did you automatically work in litigation uh, like yeah, I did, you got out. Yeah, no, I did. I did asbestos work, which is not the most exciting, but yeah. we covered, I would say in a year, we must've covered several thousand depositions and I've got to travel all across the country. I used to joke. I was in every trailer park West. Well, I guess East of the Mississippi, they would send us on like a moment's notice. Okay. You're going to Kentucky. You're going here. You're going there. 
So it was, you know, it was really fun and exciting to be 21 and you travel with this group of people and you go to all these depots. And it's funny when I started back here, I was in the courthouse and I saw an attorney who I knew from Maryland and he pointed at me, he stared at me for a long time and pointed at me. He, and he goes, Baltimore, he goes, that's how I know you. And I was like, hi, happy to see you again. I haven't seen you in a long time. So, it, you know, it's funny then to catch up because you, you know, when you travel in the asbestos group, you know, so much about people's lives just from, yeah. you know, you take depositions together every day. And I had to find how it happened to his son. I will never forget his son played lacrosse. I needed to know what happened to him. I've always wondered like what happened to so-and-so's son. I love that. Yeah, like, it was funny. I mean, you don't, th- I mean, you don't think about the relationships you build in those yeah. types of um, environments. Like I see it similar, like I do a lot of construction work and it's similar to asbestos, just not to the same volume about number of people you have in a room right. and you often have to travel and you have a million depositions and you really get to know those, those people. And you might be on opposing sides or all, all different theories of liability, but in the end, you're stuck in a room with a bunch of people for eight hours at a time for multiple, multiple days. Right. And you're really invested in other people's lives just from spending that amount of quality time with people. Yeah. And like, what a great time to do it at your career too, then at the beginning, like I, I would say like doing that probably now with younger kids at traveling, that would, that would really take its toll. But if yeah. you're doing it earlier and it's a good immersion into really understanding how everything works, um, I think it's a, like, it's a great experience. Yeah. By the time it's, you know, by the time that I was leaving, you know, we saw a lot of the firms would hire, you know, first year associates and they would come in. And by the, my fourth year, you, you feel you're like a senior attorney and you really, you've been practicing such a little period of time. But when you hear them start asking questions, you can already go, shouldn't ask that, just shouldn't ask that question. You know, it was, it was fun. I was happy to, I was happy for the time I had, but I was really thrilled when I got the chance to do litigation work in New Orleans and I had really amazing cases and, um, you know, and coming, and since we were, had a lot of Katrina cases, things that you just don't you know, you just don't yeah. handle on, on a typical, on a typical day. Like what happens when we, you know, it, it starts off as a simple contract issue. You deliver a product supposed to be used for a hurricane. It doesn't get used or malfunctions and all those ramifications that sort of come from there. It was, it was a really interesting thing. You know, it sort of goes beyond just, you know, your regular slip and fall or an auto accident. Yeah. And then you develop this unique set of skills, Yeah, right. That, you know, like, I found that earlier in my career, I had a lot of like weird cases and having weird cases is really good because like weird cases bring weird scenarios that you might see later that you're like, oh, I did this before and (laughs) you can apply it even though it's not exactly the same. Like, I mean, that's an amazing experience to have that you probably wouldn't have outside of like that catastrophe. Right. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I always tell this story. So having practiced in Maryland, and when I went to New Orleans, obviously it has a, you know, um, obviously it's a distant, different system of law, but anywhere else in the country, and I will never forget this conversation I had with this person. I walked to his office and I said, okay, everywhere else in the country, it is this, it's a third-party beneficiary contract. This is, this is what we should argue. And he said, I don't even know what that is. And I don't even know what that is under Louisiana law. And I remember looking at him going, you have done this so long and you don't know the answer to this question. And he said, this is going to be your research project. And we wrote an entire motion for summary judgment that went up and down to the Louisiana Supreme Court. I think mm-hmm. twice went up after I left again, but it was just on this really unique thing that, um, you know, that 
even like a senior partner didn't know. And it's funny, speaking of coming back, I had a case towards the end of the time I was in New Orleans and somebody filed a motion very similar to mine. And it, I was sitting in the courtroom listening to him. And after he was done, he, he, we were on the same case together. And I said, you know, you're wrong on the case law. And he said, why? And I said, because you cited my case in your, in your brief and you argued it wrong. And he like, he laughed in it, but you know, it is those things where, you know, you become like a little mini expert on something. That was like the one thing I knew. Yeah. And the so, student became the master. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what brought you back to Pennsylvania after spending the time in New Orleans? Uh, we have two small kids and my family okay. is here and yeah. They wanted to spend, my, my mom wanted to spend more time with her grandkids. So um, my husband's originally from the Western half. He's originally from outside of Pittsburgh. So it's sort of, it was time to come back and, you know, give our kids the opportunity to spend some time with their family. Yeah. And, and, and I, no one can argue with that. <laughs> I love New Orleans. If it was, if we always joke that if we, my husband and I, if we didn't have kids, we would have stayed forever, but it's too hard when you have kids and, um, you know, so it gives, it gives us the opportunity to let them hang out with my mom on a regular basis, which they love. Yeah. It, it's hard when you are further away from your family because then you can't expect everyone to come, come to you. You have to like, you have to do the effort to come to them. So like most, my family lives up in Connecticut, but my husband's family lives in like right here and like yeah. down the street. So at least we have a base here, but then to see my family, it's, it, it onus is on us to go up to them because we, we don't live home. Like I can't expect them all to trek down here all the time, right. <laughs> you know, and when you're, you know, and when we live so far away that we, you, know, when you're flying and you're trying to oh, yeah. pack all the things for small children for that period of time, you know, it, you either get to the point where you're like, either we're going to move or we're just not going to see them as often. Cause it, mm-hmm. it's so much to travel with tiny kids. Yeah. Oh yeah. No. <laughs> and you're still in, like, you still have to bring a bunch of stuff you're like getting out of it. I mean, you said your kids are three and four, right? Yeah. They're three and four. So you're getting out of like, you don't have to bring diapers and stuff anymore, but. Oh, we still do. Oh, <laughs> God, our, our son. I'm hoping, I'm hoping this, this will be the end of it, but he's hanging you know, on, <laughs> he's hanging on, you know, and I feel, you know, everyone, all the little kids in his, in his preschool class are all potty trained. I'm like, we're the one you feel like the problematic parent, like there's something wrong with me. No. Um, but no, just even like, just even to go, just even the toys and the tablets and so much stuff goes with them. So I'm hoping we're, we're round in the corner pretty yeah. soon that we won't need to take as much with us. So and this is kind of off topic a little bit, but you know, I just know what I experienced over the last year and a half with COVID and school and stuff. Um, how was that experience for you and your family? Like, was your daycare open? So you actually had some relief or was there time that they, like you had to juggle everything at home? We were closed for the first 90 days. So from March to June yeah, and have two working parents and two small toddlers was a challenge. So I would get up at three o'clock in the morning and I would work from three to seven, I think to eat and then my husband would work eight to noon and then we would take a break at lunch and then he would keep working and I would work at night it felt like I never slept because yeah, you didn't we didn't <laughs> and then the email came through that our daycare was going to open and I I don't even think I read the email I wrote them back and said you just tell me what time I can drop them off they will be there lunch is in hand ready to go I'll pick them up at six o'clock <laughs> like I need them out of our house it's too hard to do this job and focus on this job the way you need to and have small kids in the house. It just is. Yeah. Well, and especially that age too, like yeah. that's a very, cause 
I, I, I would talk about this with one of our colleagues because his kids are, are similar ages to yeah. yours and mine were home too, but they're, mine are a little bit older than yours. So what I would always say to him, like, well, I don't have to worry about my kid, like seriously injuring themselves if I'm not paying attention, <laughs> like, but you do, <laughs> like, it's a little bit different. Like, so you have to still be on them. I mean, at that point you, you had like a two-year-old and a three-year-old. So they're getting all in all sorts of trouble. So you have to really have eyes on them at all times. Right. It was, it's really funny. I have like Amazon photos and I see the photos come through, you know, they're like this year, you know, in, in April of 2020, and you look at these people and they're just happy having like the greatest time. And, you know, you, but behind the scenes, you know, like that was just, it was like a fire drill every day where you're just trying to hold the line. And we lived, um, there was like a, a pathway behind our house. And so every day we would go take a walk sometimes twice a day, or we would walk up and down the street and people started to know us where we were, where we were living at the time. And they would say, oh yeah, yeah. We saw you pulling the wagon down, down the street. Or we, and, and I'm like trying to do work phone calls and take kids on a wagon ride. And it just, it was not feasible. So I'm very happy to back at school. It's good to be back on a normal schedule again. Yes. Like the, I will say this is the first week that both of my kids have been in school for an entire full day since March of 2020, because last year school was first, they were home virtually until April and then school was a half day. So, and then summer, you know, summer was summer, but like when they went and then school started this week, this fall, and we had, we ended up getting COVID in my house. So, so that they could go to school for another week and a half. I was literally dying. I was like, how could this happen at the last moment that they actually get to go to school full time? And now like everyone got COVID. Um, but they went back on Monday and it's like, they come home at four o'clock. It's a, it's a dream. Like, I I don't know what to do with all this time I have. (laughs) There's definitely that moment of dread at like four thirty. We're like, I, okay, I have to like, you know, now our day really begins again. It's, you know, picking them up, giving them snacks because heaven help them. They feel like they don't eat all day long and then dinner and then, you know, bath them in bedtime. And that time just, you know, evaporates so quickly. Yeah, I know. But I do think, I do think that, and I think it's already started. I, in some respects, we look back at that, that time that was so crazy and being pulled in a million directions still fondly because, even with all the stress and everything, I do have like warm memories of like having all that time together. Cause I will never, you'll never get it again. Like, think about it. Like last time I had that much time, even though I was pulled in a million directions, this time was maternity leave. Right. You know? And, and again, I, it wasn't so, so much quality. I felt like a lot of time I was like, I can't, mommy's working. Okay. You got to go over here. You know? So it wasn't the most quality of time, but at least I got this big stretch of time that I don't think it wouldn't have happened otherwise. I feel that way too. We had, so when coming into COVID, our son was having a little, he wasn't as talkative as we thought he should be. Our daughter is very verbal. (laughs) (laughs) And so we had all this time to work with them and it, you know, and we laugh now, you know, we were just sitting on the couch the other day and we said, do you remember what Henry didn't talk? And, you know, he just was very quiet all the time. And now he he just constant of, I want to watch this. I want to do that. I want to play with this. And so I am very appreciative of the time we had it. We, we have very funny stories and memories of, um, you know, the things that went on, but it's always just, it's really funny to look at the photos of this smiling, happy family, these happy <laughs> kids. And 
you know, behind the scenes, you know, just how difficult and stressful that time period was. Yeah. Yeah. There, I, there was a lot of that. I mean, there's so many times that I had like kids on the floor running like their, their zoom class on the floor of my office and, you know, having to listen to the kindergarten days of the week song every day. (laughs) And before that I thought, Oh yeah, I can work remotely. But you, you know, when you're forced to do it up here, we were, how long we were out for, I think like a year and a half in my office. And it really is difficult to really get in that time, you know, to really establish that schedule of, okay, I'm going to drop the kids off. I'm going to start working. These are the hours I'm available. Really, it, you know, even after, you know, it's funny, you go through ebbs and flows of I'm being really productive and I'm not being as productive. So it's really learning how to, I'm very thankful for that experience too, to really train yourself. Okay. These are your hours you're going to work and you're not going to be distracted during that time. Yeah. I, it is. I, I think it is definitely something to become accustomed to. Like prior to the pandemic, I worked from home four days a week. So I was already like in that mindset. I just, then I was just interrupted by everyone else being home. <laughs> so I, I've always been so pro working from home just because I don't like to lose time commuting. And that's, that's been my, I'm like, why am I going to sit on a train for an hour or 45 minutes, you know, and everything. It's just a waste of time. Like, and especially when you're, I think a mom and you have to be so efficient with your time. Cause you right. know, once the day is over, you have 1800 other things you need to do. Right. <laughs> so you don't have the luxury of putting anything off. So if I could maximize all my day, that's what I want to do. Yeah. I feel definitely feel that way. Especially when you realize you can be home by eight 30, you know, depending on what time your kids go to school and yeah. you can work from eight 30 to four 30 uninterrupted all day long. And you know, then when you think about, okay, well, if I go to work, I'm going to have to ride the train and then I'm going to, there'll be constant interruptions from people or I'll have to go run this errand. Yeah, you really do realize how effect, how efficient you can be working from home. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I like, I, but I do like it best when no one else is here. Let's let's put that little asterisk up here. I work from home best when I'm alone. Right. I think a lot of us do. We just want to be, you know. And it was funny. My husband worked from home for a period of time too, and it's weird, you know, when you have somebody in your workspace that you're not used to having and listening to their Zoom calls and you know, like what they're doing at work and you're like, I just really, I like it better when I'm alone and I can get in my own little, you know, my own little zone for work. I remember some days my husband would come to my office store and be like, what's for lunch? I'm like, I don't know, grilled cheese. Like, I, like get out of my space. Like, I'll eat what I'm ready to eat, like a bag of salad. I don't know. And I, got, I also found myself getting really judgy where I was like, are you taking another break? You just took a break five minutes ago. You should be doing this. And you know, you have to really sort of leave that at the door of that's his job and what he's doing. So yeah, that's his problem. Yeah. Um, so, so you come back to, to Pennsylvania. Um, and what was like, what was the focus on your practice when you, you came back? Uh, so I came school. back and I was doing as fast as work again, which, okay. um, you know, it was hard. It was fun to step back into it a little bit. It, it was in a very different role. I was doing, um, national council work. So I was supervising a bunch of attorneys across the country. Um, so it was interesting. I, you know, before that, when I would, I would, I learned in the process, I used to write these really lengthy reports and I would be very detailed. And I was just convinced that every claims rep wanted to know every detail of this case. And then when you become the person reading them, you realize people don't want all that information. It really is boiled down to just tell me the five things I need. I'm very busy. So I think that's something I took away from it that I will probably carry with, with me for the rest of my practice of really boiling down to 
people really don't want all the minutia of what's going on in the case. They just want to know what are the most important things. Yeah. And, and I think I saw someone recently post this and I, I like this idea and I, I try to incorporate it into to my reports. Like, so I, I want them to have the information, but also upfront these, this is exactly what you need or what you need to know upfront. Right. And then if you, if you have the time, you can, you can read this. So you have the information to back it up, but here are the five or three or whatever important points of what you need to know or what I need from, from you. Right. Um, so you don't need to like weed through this whole whole thing and try to figure out what I'm asking or what I'm telling. Yeah, you would get, I would get emails and I would just, your heart would sink. You're like, I'm gonna have to read this whole entire thing. And I really just want to read three things. So, yeah. you know, it was, it was interesting to, you know, be in a different role than I had been in the past. Um, I'm very happy to be back doing, you know, general liability work. It's fun. Um, my, I, I joked for a long time. I haven't yelled at anybody in a long time been so long. <laughs> because doing asbestos work was very calm and I was not the one directly interacting with um, the plaintiff's counsel. So it's been a long time since I've yelled at somebody. So hopefully we can keep that tradition going for a while. Yeah. yeah I mean, we'll see. As I, as I often say, you, you get, you attract more bees with honey. Uh, yeah. I, yes, absolutely. <laughs> you get to pull that, that Southern charm that you learned in New Orleans and just, <laughs> Get that to me and you'll, you'll, I, I used to get angry and I, I've talked about this a lot on the podcast. I used to get angry and like write these emails and, you know, bang at my keyboard. And now I, I've realized there's no point. <laughs> no, I have that too. And I had a, I have a good friend in New Orleans who we worked in the same office together and I would walk down the hall and I was like, I just need to yell at somebody. And he would say, okay, you're going to yell at me. And then you're going to go back to your office and you're going to write a very calm, cool and collected email that says these following things. And I've had, I've worked for two or three people like that. I've always appreciated that of you sometimes just really need that, that place to vent yes. rather than an email form that gets attached to motions. And right. yeah, I've worked on a case like that where the two attorneys wrote horrible, horrible, horrible things back and forth to one another that you would never want to see in print. And they got attached. And I will never forget sitting in that courtroom with that judge saying like, you two need to figure this out. This is unacceptable. It's almost, it was borderline unprofessional, but. Oh it, yeah. And like, how yeah. childish do you look in that situation? The judge is like, well, how old are you? Right. Own adults. <laughs> right. <laughs> I can't even be civil. <laughs> I've had one, I had one case that I, to this day, I do not like that person and he does not like me and we are on the, you know, but. And, I, and in that case, a judge pulled me aside. He goes, you need to divorce your emotions from this case. And he knew all the circumstances, but he said, you're here to do a job. And I appreciated him so much for saying that because I really needed it in that moment of it had become too personal and I need to take a step back. Yeah. And it's true though, too, because if you let those personal emotions get under you, it, it affects your judgment and right. your handling of the case. Because like, am I doing this? Because I just think, you know, Mr. Smith is just a jerk. And am I just trying to file this motion because I want to peg it to him versus is this the best thing for my case to move it where I need to go? And when you get so personal about it, you might make the wrong judgment call. And the best call is, is this motion necessary? Is it really necessary to file this motion to get what I need for my client? Or do I just want to piss Joe off? Right. <laughs> and that's, and that's how it started with him. Like he wrote a motion purposely to make me angry and then it sort of went downhill for a while and that was when I really relied upon uh, my good friend to say you got to divorce you know come in and yell at me don't yell at them yeah that's good advice that's good friend yeah good friend 
I keep I keep joking with him. I was like, you should move up north because um, we love both him and his wife. And um, I keep joking with him. I was like, we have four seasons. I like to send him photos of, you know, like things. I'm like, look, it's fall here. You should come, come visit us. Yeah, like he should come up this weekend and then he'll be I, like, he'll never want to leave. It's going to be beautiful, sunny and crisp. And <laughs> I know we have plans to go to the pumpkin patch this weekend. So I'm looking forward to it. That's such a, a good fall. fall I know. Weekend. <laughs> so, you know, now that you've been practicing um, for some time, like, yeah. is there any advice that you would give to your younger self to do something, do different, to do differently now that you've had all this experience behind you? I think the one thing I've learned the most, which I now routinely do is to keep better notes because you never know when a conversation what you had with somebody is going to come back and you're going to need some sort of reference that you should never just say, Oh, I think I talked to him on that day. Mm -hmm. So I, I do take real detailed notes right now that I used to probably not take when I was a baby attorney. And I would say also ask a lot of questions. I think when I was younger, I was really afraid that somebody would think that I wasn't smart enough to do this job or that I couldn't do this job. And I've learned the more questions you ask, the better it is because you are, you know, even if it's just a simple email that says, I actually wrote one yesterday that says this, am I the crazy one here? Cause this seems <laughs> like I'm missing an issue and just have somebody write back and say, no, you absolutely, you absolutely have the right. You're on, you're over the target. You just need to address you know, analyze it in two ways. Yeah. But I think it's hard when, cause you really do feel that, I guess it's imposter syndrome or whatever that you just don't feel like you're smart enough to do this job. I feel that way all the time. So I know. And especially like when you, it's a new scenario or, or especially coming in from your shoes. So you're at a new firm. Like you don't know everyone's working styles, everyone's personality. You're probably working with a number of people and yeah. everyone handles cases differently and looks at things differently. And you're probably handling a bunch of different things. So yeah you know, it's very easy to fall into that being like, I don't, I like, you, you don't, you feel like a fish out of water. Right. Um, I, I was reading, I was on Twitter the other day. I was reading a tweet from somebody that said, even she'd been practicing, I don't know how many more than I have, but she said, I still go to court and I'm still nervous every single time. because You never know what's going to happen. She goes, that's how you should feel. She goes, anything could happen when you're over there. Yeah. And in fact, anytime that I've gone into court and I felt confident, I've got my shit handed to me. <laughs> So it's really better to walk in like feeling like over-preparing and like feeling like you, you don't belong there. So you're prepared versus yeah. like, I got this. And right. <laughs> at I'm least for me. Notes and I've been very confident. And then the judge asked you a question like, I had not thought of that because I was so entrenched in my position that I was correct. I had not thought of that one thing. Yeah. And, and it's a good too to be humbled like that too, because I think if we all get a little complacent and think that, you know, oh, we've been doing this X amount of years, I don't need to prepare for that, then, you know, that's no good. <laughs> that's no right. good for us. That's no good for our clients, you know, th to feel that you don't need to push yourself and, you know, really stay on top of things. I think yeah. you just, you need to not feel um, too settled, I guess, right. like confident, but not too settled. Right. And I think the other thing I've learned is be nice to everybody because you never know when an attorney or someone is going to come back around in your life. Um, you know, always, you know, trying to apply those, you said about Southern manners, you be nice to everybody along the way. You never know how somebody's going to come back into your life. Yeah. 
But one thing I, I always remind myself is be nice, but don't be a pushover. Right. And like I had, I had an instance that happened the, just this last week. It was last week that council emailed me and we just had an email relationship mm-hmm. and they were like, well, so I see that the, you know, that contract says this, so you should just dismiss my client. Okay. I'll just send over a step. And I was like, mm. <laughs> hold up. <laughs> just see what like just because you're proclaiming this happened you know I I was nice I gave you some information through not through the discovery process but like I'm just not going to dismiss your client because you just told me I should right (laughs) like I'm not that naive (laughs) yeah it's it's you know it is it's hard to you know you want to build a relationship but still um you know, still maintain your client's position too. It's, you know, it's a difficult balance sometimes. Yes. So, you know, I know a lot of lawyers are like jaded about our careers. I, I just, so many people are like, don't go to law school. I don't share that, that feeling. Like I, I feel that, yeah, you shouldn't go to law school if you don't know what to do. Like you should have, you should at least know what you're getting into before right. doing it. Not necessarily shouldn't, if you don't know what you want to do with yourself, I think law school is actually a very good idea, um, but you should just know what you're getting into. But a lot of people who are lawyers like, don't do it, you know, absolute terrible thing. Now, like for you, like in your young kids, would you, if say your son or your daughter came to you and like, I want to be a lawyer like mommy, is that something you would encourage or be like, let's just see how the options play out? (laughs) Uh, I would say what I told you before, that... I think they need to be aware of all the, you know, nobody in my family was a lawyer. So I learned a lot along the way, but it would be very much of wherever you want to practice is where you should go to law school, or at least, you know, the general area. I would, I would not tell them outright not to go. I would want them to know you have these very idealistic views in law school of I'm going to save the world. And then you come out and you realize the practice of law is like any other business, you know, of it. It's, it's not what you think it's going to be. So I think as long as they were educated on, it's not this, you're not going to be in front of the Supreme Court all the time. You're not going to be saving the world. There are cases where maybe you will be, you know, where you'll help a person, but being very realistic in your expectations of what the law is. You know, it's a tough job. It's long hours and you deal with people that sometimes in their worst, you know, the worst situations of their lives, you know, whether it's, especially some of the stuff we do, you know, property damage and personal injury, and they've, their lives have been very much affected by the things that have happened to them. And so it's just really being educated in, this is not, you know, we always hear those stories about attorneys back in the sixties and seventies, and they were having this grand old time and they had these great budgets and they were living it up. And I love to hear the stories because I think it's always very funny, but it's very different now. And it's very much a business and you have to approach it like that. Yeah. And I, I definitely think you know, the business aspect needs to be taught more than it is. And at least my experience was the business aspect wasn't taught at all. Right. I, you know, and I mean, sure. And like, I think that should be a part of law school. Like, yeah, if, if you go work for this firm or a firm, you're going to practice, but you are also maybe expected to bring in business. So what does that look like? How do you, how do you do that? How do the, how do the salary models work? Like that is something that no one ever talks about. And frankly, Absolutely. I didn't even understand for multiple years into my, my career. 
and how the how important marketing is um and it's just definitely something that needs to be I think more laid out and I don't know if it's laid out in law school or you just have to find the right mentor um early in your career that helps explain <laughs> how this works because I think everyone comes out with this very idealistic point of view like uh, oh yeah I'm gonna work I'm just gonna fill hours and you know go home <laughs> right and I, you know at Loyola we have these skills courses and now I would love to go back and see whether or not that's something they have turned their focus to is how to market yourself as an attorney yeah you know and it's something that is vital that they just truthfully don't teach you in law school no, and I think it is like probably more important in some ways than the actual work. I mean, obviously the work is very important, but like that, like marketing yourself is how you're going to get a job after your first job or even your first job and how you network with people you work with or people you meet. Like, and it's not just joining the bar association. Like there's all different ways you can network. And I just think it, it's never, at least in my experience, it was never, um, taught to me. I just had to figure it out as I went along. And I did have mentors along the way who kind of guided me, but it would have been really beneficial had I had some experience with that in law school. And it's hard too, because you get really, you know, your day to day is I get up, I'm going to bill, I'm going to do these 17 things. And then by the end of the day, you're exhausted. And then to think about marketing yourself on top of that is really difficult. Yes. And, you know, I just, it, it should be something that should be taught more than it is. Yeah, I agree. And, and just that it's not a one size fits all approach. Like what works for me may not work for you, which might not work for him and it may not work for her. Like every, everyone's a little different in your strengths and what, you know, what works best right. for you. And then some people might, so there are people who don't want to market. I just, you know, from a business perspective, like that is very important. We have a friend who's great at it and he's one of the people I told you earlier who had uh, encouraged me to do this podcast to talk to you. And, you know, he, I, I love watching the things he does and, you know, he's always such a good proponent of himself and getting out in the media and talking about his cases. And, you know, he, he, he really sort of inspires me just to, you know, how he markets himself so well. Yeah. Well, you'll have to put me in touch with him. I love, I love <laughs> to see what everyone's doing. <laughs> um, so Amazing. I, I didn't want to, because we're almost out of time, but I, I didn't want to end this podcast without talking about what I promised you we talk about is guilty pleasures. Because we talked oh, yeah. about this briefly before we we started really recording. But I know you have some good guilty pleasures. And I, I love to hear about all my guests' guilty pleasures because it makes everyone more human. Because like, this is not all that we do. <laughs> right. Well, I told you, um, so my one of my big ones is 90 Day Fiance. And it's funny now working in an office, not working from home anymore is people will come to the door and, and they're like, can I come in? I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm just listening to something about nine day fiance. I don't have, I had a really amazing, wonderful paralegal. And that was our routine on Monday mornings was we would sit down together and discuss what had happened both in our personal lives on the weekend and on TV. And after a while, somebody would poke their head and be like, are you two going to get back to work? And we're like, yes, we're going to start working or, you know, and I've always sort of had that best friend at work who I've always talked to. And then another friend of ours, her husband had said to us, you are bright, smart, professional women. Why do you watch this awful TV? And we would always joke with him. We said, because our jobs are hard. And, you know, when you're dealing with people in, you know, sometimes, you know, depending on the kind of cases you have, you just want that escapism. So yes. I do watch, uh, I'm a little addicted to 90 Day Fiance. I do watch a lot of Bravo. I'm way into Below Deck. I watched the whole thing during COVID <laughs> to the point that I had to walk away for a while. 
um, you know, when you're Googling cast members, you're like, I, I don't need to know this much information about people. Oh, yes, you do. I, do. I, I'm then, a dig deep on like all people on those shows. I am trying to uh, get back into running. That was something I did before we had kids and it's hard to find that time, you know, to, um, you know, even 30 minutes sometimes is hard just to find 30 minutes to run every day. Well, that is not a guilty pleasure. That is something to do for yourself. <laughs> don't put that in the guilty pleasure category like 90 day fiance guilty pleasure sure running no <laughs> feels like a guilty pleasure you know, it does. you know having you know having that time to yourself yeah. is, you know you always hear people talk about self-care finding just 30 minutes for yourself is sometimes really hard but oh yes if you want to talk reality tv i can talk about it all day long love it it's terrible i know it's terrible i just don't care well, it's funny because I, I like I have friends who are really avid readers and when they read books, they read like the books that are, you know, good. Yeah. And I don't know about you, but I, I, when I'm sitting down to read a book, I want it not to be a Pulitzer Prize winner. I want it to be easy and <laughs> like ha- be a little trashy because again, like I have to use my brain so much that I don't want to use my brain at other times. Right. <laughs> um. But I will say from the reality TV standpoint, I don't watch a ton of reality TV, but I am for the first time now watching Dancing with the Stars oh. um, this season for some selfish reasons. Like one of the guys is one of the Peloton instructors who I love. And then one of the other people is like this Jojo Siwa, who my kids love. Mm-hmm. So I actually let them like we watch it together um, what we did last week. And so they got to stay up late and I think that's great. Uh, but it's the first time I've, I've watched, we voted. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, it was, my husband was rolling his eyes. Couldn't believe we were watching this stuff, you know, but they loved it. I loved it. And it was a like great way to spend two hours that you're just like, you zone out and you know, you enjoy some dancing and some pop music. <laughs> right. My husband, I, that's, I think how it, the way that I originally suckered him into watching TV was there used to be the show on Bravo called the people's couch. And it was people at home watching reality shows. And the first time we walked in, he's like, this is dumb. And I was like, oh no, sit down. And then like, after a while he was, he's like, can we watch that show? I'm like, sure. And then I sort of like slowly pulled him in. But now that we have kids, I watch a lot of things at, at like three in the morning. So nobody's awake in the house. Like that is my time. And I get very upset when people wake up early and now like intrude upon my time to watch my trash TV. Yeah. So a follow question. That, so do you like follow the couples like after? Like, oh, I watch, I watch, there's three different versions. There's 90 day before the 90, the other way. I listen to like at least four podcasts. I really need to stop. I just can't. I mean, I think, you know, it's, you know, working remotely, you don't all, you know, you don't have those people you interact with every day. So you really look at podcasters as your friends, you know, there are these people who I listen to every week. So, um, oh yeah, I'm way, I was way invested. I actually had to back off for a while. (laughs) You know, I was, I was in way too deep, which I think, you know, I think just from working remotely, that's sort of took on a different life than it had before yeah I mean we all did those things like you know even what was it the Tiger King like I there were those those shows that came in you know and I was obsessed with I was obsessed with Tiger King I thought that show was amazing (laughs) but one of my favorites is coming back today on Netflix it's uh, the Great British Bake Off which if you've never seen it is one of the best everybody's so nice to each other 
They make things yes. I could, you know, they're, it's always this, I, I could make that. No, I could never, ever, ever do that. I don't have the patience to make pastry and stuff like that. Oh yeah. I mean, my kids just tell me I would be on nailed it because <laughs> I, I, nothing I make looks pretty ever. <laughs> um, so, and one last question I ask, I ask most my guests yeah. uh, this, if there's a movie that you could sit down and watch over and over and over, regardless if it's on, what's that movie? I think I've seen Frozen and Moana at least. <laughs> well, that doesn't count. I, I'm going to be honest with you. I've watched those so many times at this point. I feel like I could watch anything. Um, <laughs> those don't count because like you're not, I mean, you're probably putting them on out of necessity or demand. <laughs> we, we, we had this, whole, we started watching. So when the kids started watching Disney plus the level that they are, we've looked for plot holes. We exchanged text messages with friends about the plot holes. Um, but as a, as like a true guilty pleasure could watch it forever. Oh, I don't even know. I would say probably a few good men. I think I've seen that about a million times. It's one of my favorites. That's a good one. That's that, that fits. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I will say from a child's perspective of like kids movies, one that I will always like I'll get sucked into is Wreck-It Ralph. Oh, that's, yeah, we were on a kick with that too for a while. That's a good one. Cause it's got a lot of good adult humor in there. The kids like it, but it's, it's real. I think, and also the original Lego movie, those were two of my favorites for the kids to watch because I felt like it was for me too. <laughs> the kids have started really watching. Oh, I've seen Raya and the Last Dragon or Lost Dragon, whatever it is. I've seen that a million times. And they're really big into Hercules right now, which is really not a kid's movie and they love it. <laughs> and so that one always entertains me because it's just really dark and they seem to love it for some reason. So we've been watching a lot of that lately. Well, you'll have to chat when they get a little older and you start introducing your the movies that you watched like when you were a kid that you think are appropriate and are definitely not appropriate, but you watch, they let them like Goonies. My kids love Goonies. Goonies mm-hmm. is not a real PG movie like that. Yeah. <laughs> it's not appropriate. And then this last weekend, I think I let them watch um, Pitch Perfect. Not appropriate. Oh yeah, They no. thought it was great. <laughs> we, our son was really into, he's now back into Spider-Man, which is funny because we've now seen like the 1980s versions of cartoons that we watched. And my husband looked at me, he goes, this is not appropriate. And like our child even refers to it as like the scary Spider-Man show. And we were joking, we should, he's really in dinosaurs and we should show him Jurassic Park. And then I thought better, I was like, no, that's not even, that's not a good one right there. Yeah, probably not yet. I, I we did watch Jurassic Park um, over the summer <laughs> and I would say they were a little scared. And then we watched the next one and they had, they were like, turn this off. <laughs> like. <laughs> cannot watch like when the t-rex is like i don't know it was destroying a city or something they're like police yeah they're not ready for that yet no we're still we're very deep Uh, yeah so frozen i've definitely seen a number of times one time i had seen it like three times in a row before 10 o'clock it's a very long day yes yeah so um well, Laura, thank you so much for appeasing me and coming on and getting getting through your your apprehension of of coming on a podcast. And now you've you know you've ripped off the bandaid and you can come on and be a, a co host for another episode later. All right, thanks so much. It was good talking with you. You too. And for everyone listening, if you like what you hear, please subscribe to the Defense Never Rest. We are on Apple Podcasts, and we all you can also find us on YouTube at the Legal Navigator. Mm-hmm.